Matthew chapter 28, very famous passage, Jesus' great commission as he sends the disciples out. Matthew 28, I'll have it there um, behind me. And if if you can hold that place, we're also going to read from Acts 1, verses 8 and 9. Jesus says this in Matthew 28, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's important because that means we don't have all the authority on heaven and earth, that Jesus has it. And then with that authority, he's calling us. He says, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, of all people groups, of all kinds of people, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And part of what that looks like in making disciples is teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And here's some more good news. And behold, I am with you always even to the end of the age. And then again, before he ascends to the Father, he says this in Acts chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So not only is he saying that I have authority over all things and that I'm going to be present with you, he's making very clear that he's not only present, he will indwell them, that that he's giving the Holy Spirit to come upon his people. You will be my witnesses. The word there literally is, is martyr. You will be my martyrs, my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, Scripture says, as they were looking on, Jesus was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. God, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promise that you uh, gave to be with us forever. And God, we thank you that you've also given us a purpose, that you've given us an aim and a goal um, to live our lives by. So God, I pray that you would help us as individuals. I pray that you would help us as a community of people to be faithful to that mission. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are, uh, if you are a member of Redeemer, then you've gone through our new members class. We do those about once a quarter. And in those new members classes, uh, we talk about um, sort of who we are as a church and what it means to be a part of Redeemer. And we talk about our mission and our vision and our values. And then this morning, as I was thinking about today, um, as we celebrate seven years as a community, it was, it's important for me, I think, for, for us to reflect on what it is we do exactly. And why we do it. It's easy, as many of you know, uh, just to sort of keep going on and doing church in a way that gets repetitive. And maybe you sort of forget about what it is we're really after as the people of God. And so this morning is hopefully a reminder of who we are, of what we do, and why we do it. And put very simply, uh, and this is important, Redeemer exists to make disciples. That's what, that's what we're doing. That's our goal. That's our aim. That's the win. Redeemer exists to make disciples. And so all of our effort, whatever it is we do, all of our effort is essentially to, um, to participate with God, uh, really just to enjoy God's power and God's presence as he conforms more and more people to look more and more like Christ. That's what a disciple is. That may seem like a, a sort of churchy or theological or biblical word that, that is devoid of meaning, but put very simply, a disciple is someone who follows Christ, who, who more and more looks like Christ. That's what it means to be a disciple. And so what does that look like? What does that look like for Redeemer to make disciples, to participate with God, to enjoy God as he does that in the hearts and lives of people? 
What does it look like for the members of Redeemer to live, uh, in the words of Jesus and Acts, to live as witnesses to the good news of God's grace? And how does that happen? Now, of course, we know that, that making disciples and uh, being a disciple, it involves many components of spiritual discipline. It involves uh, engagement in various types of ministry. It, it involves this lifelong practice of living a life of faith. But, but much of these things can be outlined and uh, explained in these three big categories that we talk about in our new members class. Those categories are proclamation, service, and community. Those are three important words. This is, this is what helps define how we do what we do, how we go about making disciples, both as individuals and as the community of Redeemer through proclamation, service, and community. These three values mean that we, that we speak, that we open our mouths, that we speak the truths of the gospel through proclamation of Scripture. And we do, that, we do that each Sunday morning together as a group. We do that hopefully to one another in the daily course of our lives. I don't know about you, but I often have to preach the gospel to myself to remind myself that I'm forgiven, to remind myself that I'm, I'm free and no longer enslaved to my sin. Remind me who I am. We are proclaimers of the gospel. And then we respond to the truths of the gospel through service to one another, through service to God, service to each other, service to uh, the broader community around us, and even service to the nations. And we'll talk about that as we go on. And then we embody the truths of the gospel by living together in a community, as Christ calls us, a community of God's people. We represent the body of Christ to the world. And that's the language that Paul uses in the New Testament, this idea of a, of a body of this connected group of folks. And so we proclaim the good news of Jesus. We serve our neighbors in our city, in our nation. We serve one another and we learn and work and worship together as a family of God. That's what it means to be a part of Redeemer. Those are very key elements of who we are. Now let me spend just a few minutes uh, talking about these three values in more detail. And then I want to share just a bit about um, how God brought me uh, to Redeemer, to this place, and then uh, a little bit about what God has done over these past few years in the life of our church. So let's start here. What do we mean by proclamation? What does that mean? It's important to clarify, partly because um, everybody's selling something, Right? Everybody is proclaiming something. Everybody has an agenda, one way or another, good or bad. We're all proclaiming something. We're all proclaiming, as it were, a set of values. Maybe we're proclaiming that I am the most important thing. Or maybe we're proclaiming that you are the most important thing. Or that my job is the most important thing. Or my family is the most important thing in this world. Or this particular relationship that I'm in is the most important thing. We are, we are proclaiming our values for better or worse. Our lives are proclaiming what we value most. And so, what is, what is your life proclaiming? What is your life proclaiming as the most important thing in this world, what we mean by proclamation is that our church, our goal, we're proclaiming that God is the most important thing. That God is the most important thing. That, that we are proclaiming Jesus and calling people to orient their lives around this one fundamental reality that God exists, that God saves people, that God is working in the world, and that he calls us to a certain kind of life with a specific purpose and meaning. In other words, we're not proclaiming ourselves. 
which is very important. We're not proclaiming our own opinions. We're not proclaiming our own uh, religious or political agendas. Our aim is very simply to tell God's story as he tells it to us in Scripture, the, the story that he releases his children from bondage, the story that he forgives sin. This is good news that he offers lasting hope that, that Jesus is the one and only man who can promise and give eternal life to his people. This is part of what Paul's getting at in 2 Corinthians 4. I think I have this on the screen here. Paul says this, For, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, because that's, that's what's easy. That's essentially the default, is that we go about in our lives proclaiming, even if we don't say it out loud or say it so explicitly, we live our lives in a way that proclaims our value, that we value us the most. That the rest of the world should essentially orient around our needs and our desires and our values. But Paul makes clear that's not what we're doing. We're not proclaiming ourselves. We are proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And we'll get into this, how this translates very easily into service for one another. We are a church who proclaims Jesus. The, the disciple John provides even more detail. He goes into it in 1 John 1. This, this may be on the screen as well. He says this life, this eternal life, this transformed life, this gospel life, it was made manifest to us, meaning it was revealed to us by God. We have, we have seen it. We testify to it. We proclaim it to you, this eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. And then he says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Now, a couple things there I want to point out to you, because that's, a, that's a, a wordy passage, but let me just highlight a few things. What John is saying here is saying, number one, that we proclaim what we have experienced. That's important. This isn't just um, academic uh, theory. This isn't religious or political conjecture. This is very simply, when we talk about proclaiming the gospel, when we talk about sharing the story of God, it just means this. I experienced this, and I want to tell you about it. I had this experience in my life that I, I experienced God in this way, and I want to share it with you. And here's why. He gives a reason. So that, there in verse 2, so that you too may be a part of this community. I want to share this good news because you can be brought into this community, the community that we've been brought into with the Father, Son, and Spirit. And so here at Redeemer, we value God's Word. Regularly, as you know, we preach through books of the Bible. We've been preaching through an extended series in the Gospel of Luke for a long time. Sometimes we take breaks to speak through uh, specific themes and topics in Scripture. All of our ministry is shaped by the belief in the good news that Jesus died for us. Part of what that means is that we're not offering self-help to you. And the reality is there's plenty of churches who will offer self-help to you. We're, we're not offering self-help. We're, we're offering a call to self-sacrifice. We, we do not plead for you, and this is important, we are not pleading with you to do more and try harder as a Christian or as a religious seeker, what we are calling you to do, what we, are, what we are embodying ourselves is this idea, this desire to cling all the more tightly to the cross of Christ, what Jesus has done and accomplished for us on our behalf, something we never could have done ourselves. 
We proclaim the good news every Sunday as we celebrate communion together. You know, one of the things, I may have shared this with you before, but um, when, when people leave the church, if they move away or something, they'll, they'll often tell me, you know, the thing that I miss most about Redeemer is the way that we take communion. That's interesting. It's not, it's not, yeah, it's, it's not me. That's not the thing they say they miss. Um, it's, it's the way we take communion. Every, and we actually get this question uh, fairly often. Why do we do it the way we do it? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons is that um, no matter how much one of us may mess it up uh, on stage before communion, there is this opportunity for us to look in your eyes and to, to tell you this is Jesus' body broken for you. He was broken so that you can be whole. This is Christ's blood poured out for you. His life was emptied so that yours could be full. Every single week, and we've been doing this since we started, every single week, every Sundays we gather, there is a regular rhythmic pattern of gospel proclamation. And and some of you say, it seems so, uh, you know, it's just a script. Scripts are very important. Scripture is very important. As you read through the Scriptures, um, God prescribes these things that He wants His people to regularly read, to memorize. And so we say essentially the same script almost every week for us to internalize this idea that this is what Jesus has done for us. This is what we mean by proclamation. This is something that, it's not just something that we know. We don't just know the Gospel. We must be regularly reminded of the good news of Christ. And it can't end there. It can't end with just what we're saying. The saying is important. Again, the saying is critical, but it's it's not just that. Knowing and experiencing and then proclaiming the good news of Christ then compels us out in service to one another. It moves us. It changes us. It transforms us. It it compels us out to serve one another, uh, to serve Christ. We we then are, are imitating Christ because he went about serving those people around him. And then, of course, we are serving him as we together are in community with him. So what do we mean when we talk about service? Biblical service, I wish I did have this on the screen. I don't. Here's the best definition I can give you. Biblical service, in in contrast to um, self-righteous service, you guys know what that is? Self-righteous service is essentially, I'm going to do this thing for you. I'm going to sacrifice so that I get something else in return, right? We, we know that. We, we get that. It's, it's very difficult for us to actually engage in biblical service where we're not expecting anything else in return. So, so biblical service, the way I can see it, is this intentionally and actively giving up our time, our preferences, our agenda for the sake of someone or something else. And here's the critical part, as a response to who God is. That biblical service means that we're actively, we're intentionally giving up our own desires, our own preferences, the things that we're trying to work for. We're giving it up for someone or something else as a response to who God is. Even if, and especially if, church, we can never be repaid. That's, That's what biblical service looks like. Richard Foster uses in his book, Celebration of Discipline, he, he lays out very beautifully uh, this distinction between biblical service and self-righteous service. He says that, that our, our souls scream against biblical service because we are so desperate for applause. We are so desperate for the praise of men. We are so desperate for acceptance. In biblical services, I'm giving up all of that. 
because of what God has given up for me. And so the idea of service is uh, is reor- reorient- reorienting our heart. See, that's a Sudafed. Uh, service is uh, as much about reorienting our hearts towards others as it is reorienting our schedules or our budgets to serve one another. Paul lays this out clearly, this beautiful passage in Galatians 5. I I think I do have this on the screen. Paul lays this out beautifully. He says in verse 13, For you were called to freedom, brothers. So there's the gospel, right? That's the good news. Paul is reminding them the good news. He says, you were called to freedom, brothers. You've been set free. You've been transformed. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. That's the temptation. The temptation is, God has saved me. I'm not bound anymore. And so therefore, I can live any way I want. I can, I can essentially live for me because I am saved. I'm forgiven. I'm good to go. That's the temptation. He says, don't do that. Don't live for yourself. You are free, but don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Instead, through love, what does he say? Serve one another. And then he says this, and this is astounding. For the whole law is fulfilled in this one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Think about that for just three seconds. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. We love ourselves, church, right? Amen? We, think about how dedicated you are to you. Think about how committed you are to things going right for you. And he says, the whole law can essentially be summed up in this one way. You should love each other like you love you. Paul Paul's admitting here, we, he knows how much we love ourselves. And he's saying, take some of that and redirect it to those around you. You're free, and so use that freedom to serve. Love your neighbor as you love yourself, but instead, if you here's the alternative, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And, and we, we see this, of course, right, in our relationships. Relationship, any kind of relationship is about love and service and giving. And as soon as that dynamic changes and we begin just to take uh, and consume, we, we use everything just for our benefit, the relationship is destroyed. We know this. He's saying that's how it is among the people of God. As Christians, and this is important, as Christians, we are free, yet we are bound. We are free people, and yet we were bound. We are ultimately freed from Satan, sin, and death. We're ultimately freed from the tyranny of our own uh, selfish and self-destructive desires. And yet we we are bound by God's grace. We are bound to Him, thankfully, We are bound to one another as the body of Christ. And so we serve, not not motivated by the acceptance or the praise of men, not motivated by the, the, the pat on the back, but compelled by the love of Christ because He has modeled for us what that ultimate act of service looks like, and He has called us to do the same. We are, church, free yet bound. This means that we allow people into our lives, which isn't easy. Of course, the, the, you know, the first sins in Scripture that, that Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they did what He told them not to do, and immediately the result was what? They hid themselves. 
They isolated themselves. They separated themselves. And then the second response, and we're all very familiar with this, was blame. So that's, that's sort of the typical response to sin. We see this from the earliest pages, is isolation and blame. And so this means, this idea of service, this idea of being the church means that we allow other people into our lives, into our homes. It means that we are sometimes being made uncomfortable, that we're being disrupted. Dietrich Bonhoeffer has this little bitty book called Life Together, which is a great book. If you've not read that book, highly encourage you to read that book, Life Together. There's so many great one-liners in that book, but one of the things he says in that book, he says, he says, it is only when he is a burden that another person is really a, bro- is really a brother and not merely an object to be manipulated. Let me read that again. It is only when he is a burden that another person is really a brother and not merely an object to be manipulated. Now, what is he saying there? He's saying essentially, if all of your relationships are just a cost-benefit analysis to you about what you get out of it, there's something about, there's a, a deepening of a relationship, there's a real connection, a real giving and service if you can see another person as someone that you can give to, not just take from. And this, this works at every level of relationship, right? With our, our spouse or partner, with our kids, with our parents, with, with those that we work with, that w- those we go to school with. There's this idea that I, w- I am looking at you as a person not to take from, but to give to. How can I serve this person? This means very simply that we value others as more highly than ourselves, as Scripture calls us to. And this is what leads us to the necessity of community. It's so critical. This is why we do things like uh, have Jack's food truck out there so we can create a moment. We can, Henry Nowen talks about um, you, can't, you can't force community, right? We can't, we can't manipulate, we can't manufacture community, but you can create conditions in which community can flourish. And so we, we get together and we, we skate and we hang out and we have groups and Bible studies and, uh, and have lunch together. We are trying to create conditions for community to flourish here and then here as a model so that it can ripple out throughout this community. There's a, there is a war happening in each one of our souls that on the one hand, we, we ache for community. We want to be known and we want to know. We want to be understood. We want to be heard. We don't want to be ignored. And yet our sin nature fights against that. And so we isolate ourselves. We hurt others who are closest to us. We distance ourselves even from God. This is the first thing that God said in Scripture that was not good, right? As he, as he created everything else, he says, that's good, that's very good, but it's not good for man to be alone. We were created for something bigger than that. Everything else specifically good, but not this, not this isolation. We were built to live in community just as we are created in the image of God, and God lives in community with Father, Son, and Spirit. And we are called to be brought into that community you know, as a, as a pastor for all these years, um, I get a front row seat to this, but um, one, of the, one of the most uh, pronounced obstacles to real community, one of the things that hurts community the most is this desire for the perfect community, right? 
So we, we have this idea in our mind about what a Christian community should look like or feel like, and if it doesn't meet all of those expectations, we dismiss it or we walk away. Or, you know, um, and we talk about this, I think, in our new members class, but there's uh, C.S. Lewis's book, Screwtape Letters. You've probably heard me use this quote before. But the, the idea that this one devil is mentoring this other devil trying to trip up Christians, and he says, okay, here's what you do. If you can't get a guy to stop going to church altogether, that's that's the goal. Try to get them to not go to church. If you can't get them to not go to church, get them to go to all the churches to find the best one that suits them. Right? Because you'll keep going. You'll keep looking. You'll keep searching. And inevitably, you won't find a church that quite suits you perfectly, including ours. I hate to break it to you. It really just doesn't exist, right? And I'll go, I'll go a step further you're part of the problem. I'm part of the problem, right? You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. There is no perfect community because we're in it. The, the church is a mess sometimes because we're a mess, right? Again, in his book, Life Together, Bonhoeffer says, he who loves his dream of community more than Christian community itself, which is broken and messy and difficult, becomes a destroyer of the latter. We are called to serve and enjoy and worship with and mourn with and laugh with and pray with those whom God has put in our path. Christianity is not a call to individualism. It's not just about you and God alone with your Bible to get your one word from God for the day. It is this life lived uh, with people to grow and to learn and to be built up into what God is calling us to. Just before Jesus goes to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says this. He says I, I, He's praying for his disciples. He says, I'm not just praying for these guys, the disciples, but for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now, there's a, a lot in that passage, and it's astounding, but what he is saying here, he's saying that, that he desires of us he says, I want them to enjoy the same kind. I want them to be together. And I want their togetherness to look like our togetherness. The togetherness with Father, Son, and Spirit. This, I want them to enjoy the same life-giving and supportive and encouraging and mutually reinforcing, utterly loving community, one with the other. Why? Why does he say that? So that the world may believe. We, we are, whether we like it or not, proclaiming something about what we believe about Jesus. This is what we're called to, proclamation, service, and community. And I love being a part of a church redeemer. I love being a part of a church defined by and known for these specific values and how we make disciples. Now, by God's grace, and it is every bit of God's grace, um, Redeemer is celebrating seven years today. It's, I'm so thankful, yeah. As, as many of you know, Redeemer is um, really the product of two other churches coming together seven years ago today. 
one of which uh, was started by Marcus in uh, 2002. Another one started in 2007, these two churches coming together, merging together uh, to form one new church with the goal of having a, a deeper impact in the city and a broader impact across the world. Marcus, who started House of Worship in 2002, uh, and he, he has his own story to share. And I, I don't know if he's in here this morning. I would love for you to share your story uh, sometime with the church about how God brought you here, about what he's done, what he did through House of Worship, what he's continued to do through that ministry I would love for him to share his story. This morning, I'll just share a bit of my story, and some of you have heard this before. Uh, in, in 2006, one of the things we do, actually, in, uh, in our new members class and uh, in a lot of our community groups is we ask people to share this story. I love to hear how people came to know the Lord, and I love to know how people uh, came to this church. It's always so interesting to see that story of God leading and guiding people and doing things in people's lives that brought them to this place. And so I'm going to share a bit of mine. So in 2006, about 13 years ago, I was finishing college and a professor friend of mine um, started teaching um, in, at different schools and seminaries in Kenya. Um, and he was training and resourcing and mentoring pastors there. And he brought a group of us together. That's actually how I met KCC so years and years ago. Casey uh, and me and my friend and a few other guys got brought together and we started this ministry called Hamare, which now, uh, 13 years, 14 years later, we realize uh, a lot of you have been a part of that ministry. Many of you have given to that ministry. Some of you have, have gone to Kenya with us through that ministry. So, so years ago, with my professor friend, we started this ministry to train and mentor and resource pastors in East Africa to help them preach and to lead and to plant new churches. And at that same time, I was, so that's been a big part of who we are as a church, even before I felt God calling me to Brenham to plant the church that we planted in 2007. So at that same time, I was a pastor on staff at a church in downtown Houston. Um, Brandy and I had only been married for, uh, I think about three years at the time, we had a two-year-old son. It's crazy to even look back. You're like, Why, what were you thinking starting a church at this juncture in life? It seems so stupid now. Um, we had been married for three years. We had a two-year-old, and she was pregnant with Betty, who is now 13. So that's where we were. And in that season of life, and some of you may have experienced this uh, regarding different things, maybe ministry or opportunities or whatever. In that season of life, I felt increasingly called uh, to start a church. To plant the church. I didn't know, I didn't know where, I didn't know when, I didn't have much clarity at all. I just had this, this feeling, it's hard to explain, this, this calling is maybe the best word I can use, to start this new church that God was calling me to. Had no clue how to do it, had no clue what that meant. Um, and as best as I can describe, a calling is a very mysterious thing, and maybe the closest thing I can compare it to is the feeling that I had um, in, in asking my wife to marry me. Sometimes you just know, right? You can't totally explain it. It doesn't always, it's, it's not like something you can write on paper and go, oh yeah, that makes sense. It's more just like, I have to do this thing. And so, 
in, in defiance, really, of so many other things that were going on in my life, like the fact that I had no clarity on the when and the where or the how, like being newly married, like having a toddler in the house, like my wife being pregnant, not to mention that I had a job and a ministry in Houston, not to mention that all of my friends and, uh, and relationships were in Houston. I just knew that this is what the Lord was calling me to do. And so Brandy and I and the elders of the church at the time where I was serving, we prayed and we waited. And this seems to be the story for many. You pray and you wait and you pray and you wait and you just, you're just trusting the Lord to, to speak to you as he will. And then one, one weekend, Brandy and I drove up to Brenham. We didn't know anybody in Brenham. We'd never been to Brenham. We had no relationships here. We went on a little weekend getaway, stayed here. And it was one of those very rare moments in life where something just sparked in my heart. And I felt it wasn't an audible voice. It was just this compelling sense of, this is where I want you to be. And so we said, okay. So I think it was actually probably harder to ask Brandy to move to Brenham to start a church with no people or no relationships or no resources or no anything than it was to ask her to marry me. Thankfully, she said yes to both. And so we're here. Uh, yeah, give her a hand. And so in 2007, 2006, 2007, we, we bought a property uh, and we moved here and we started having a Bible study in our living room. There was just a handful of us. At that time, uh, if you can believe it, there's still a few of us here. It was, it was my wife and I, it was Brad and Jessica Beavers and it was Stephanie and Casey Cease and one or two other folks. We were meeting in my little farmhouse, uh, reading scripture and praying and having meals together and just hanging out and thinking, this is what it means to have a church committed to these ideas of proclamation, service, and community. And as romantic as that may, you know, startup stories are always fun for me. I always like hearing about how something came to be. And, and it sounds maybe a little bit romantic. It sounds uh, interesting. But I just want to say that when God calls you to things, very often, it certainly was the case for us, it was so hard and so uh, unglamorous. There was just nothing glamorous about it. Our, our first service that wasn't in our living room uh, was at Calvary Baptist Church here in Brenham. Uh, we had met the staff there. They allow us to use their space. And, and we were, we were uh, for a long time, just so small. And you just thought the whole thing is going to collapse at any moment. You just don't know how this thing's ever going to work. But we would gather together on Sunday nights, we would read scripture, we would take communion, we would share a meal together, and little by little, God started to bring people uh, one by one to the church. People were coming to faith. Many of the uh, members were either uh, unchurched or just completely new to the area, and little by little, people kept coming together, and we shared this beautiful experience of watching God build his church. And while all this was happening, um, here in Brenham, a group of us were flying to Kenya multiple times a year to work with and train and to resource these pastors in Kenya. It was this beautiful opportunity for this little group here to have this bigger impact on the other side of the world. And so this idea, again, of, of proclamation, service, and community was woven into um, our DNA, the DNA of our little church from day one. It was never just about growing a big church here. It was, about, it was about seeing the knowledge and glory of God cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. Five years before I moved to Brenham, 
Marcus had started a church called House of Worship in 2002. That church grew out of a ministry. Again, I won't share all his story, but that ministry, uh, that church grew out of a ministry that he and many others, even some of you here today, uh, were a part of doing ministry to those, uh, in his words, those on the margins. Ministry among those who weren't being reached by the traditional churches in Brenham at the time. Marcus and I knew each other. Uh, Our churches had collaborated together. We had been working together for a while. And we came to a point, and our churches collectively came to a point, where we felt like God was calling us to bring these two churches together. And the idea was that we could, we believed, and still believe, that um, we could do more together than we could have ever done apart. That He was calling us to something new. And so today we're celebrating what God has been doing these last seven years at Redeemer. It's been a a really amazing journey, I think, for all of us. And I also want to look not only backwards, but look forwards to what God will continue to do in in the coming weeks and months and years, and God willing, decades in the life of our church. I shared some of this in an earlier sermon series, I think last year, maybe 2017. But let me just take a minute to share and to celebrate with you the power of God's mercy at work in and through Redeemer since 2002. I have a couple stats up here. Since 2002, we've seen seven churches formed in the U.S. and Mexico. We've seen over 60 churches formed in Kenya. Yeah, you guys can, yeah, you guys can clap. That's worth clapping for, right? Over, over 250 people baptized in Texas. Over, over 2,000 reported baptisms and conversions in Kenya, and well over a million dollars. That number's probably uh, fairly low. Well over a million dollars given to church planting and missions over these last few years. We, we have members uh, now who are serving in or we are contributing to ministries in either us or our sister churches, uh, ministries in the United States and Mexico and Kenya and England and Moscow and Sudan and South Africa and Guatemala and India, China, Haiti, Nigeria, throughout Eastern Europe and more. Fifth, over 15 countries across three continents. Marcus read this passage at the beginning of the service. Let me read it again to you. With what can we compare the kingdom of God? What parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. And yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the other garden plants and puts out large branches so that even the birds of the air can make their nest in its shade. I am, I am thankful for the work that God has done in and through Redeemer over these past several years. It's been a joy just to be a part of a church where God is moving and working and we just get to enjoy His mercy and faithfulness to us. And I look forward to a a continued journey of of proclaiming God's goodness, of of serving each other in the world and serving the Lord and living in community together as the people of God. This is what He's called us to. This is what it means to be a part of Redeemer. Redeemer.